How often are your novice principles more effective than your veteran principles? Usually, this shouldn't be the case, right? Veteran principles have all their wisdom and years of experience that they can apply to their craft and their art form to become an even more effective teacher year after year. But today's guest, Martine Blank, as a novice teacher, his students outperformed the students who had the quote-unquote best veteran teachers. How do you do it? Well, that's a story we're going to tell at the beginning of our show. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Makeover, Better Leaders, Better Schools. I'm a principal development and retention expert, a best-selling author, and I host two of the world's most downloaded podcasts. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you've made three commitments to investing in your continuous growth, challenging the status quo, and designing the future of school right now. We'll be back with our main content after some messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. How would you like to increase student talk by an average of 40%? More student ownership, more student discourse. Check it out for yourself by trying out TeachFX. Go to teachfx.com forward slash better leaders to pilot their program today. If executive functioning skills are integral to student success, then why aren't they taught explicitly and consistently in classrooms? I have no idea. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But what I do know is that our friends over at Organized Binder have created a new course that will teach your teachers how to set up students for success via executive functioning skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Well, hey there, Ruckus Makers. Today I'm joined by Martine Blank, visionary educator, breathwork instructor, and educational consultant, specializing in whole school well-being and teacher and staff retention. I mean, is there a better topic <laughs> to talk about these days? Honestly, probably not. Uh, Martine's worked with over 15,000 students, in 14,000 educators over the last 10 years in hundreds of schools across districts nationally. He uses positive psychology, stress management, and resilience training to help leaders fight staff burnout and turnover and create systems that enable school and district thriving. Uh, you can check out his work at schoolwellbeingsolutions.com. Martin, welcome to the show. Danny, it's so nice to be here. I'm a big fan. And so Excited to have the conversation with you. Awesome. Well, let, let's start back in the day when you were a novice teacher and your students were outperforming the students who had the quote unquote best veteran teachers. And it wasn't that you were there in better instructionally, it's that you taught them how to breathe that led to their success. Tell us that story because it sounds counterintuitive. Yeah, sure. So I, it was a fourth grade classroom 
And as a novice teacher, as you may know, and many other people may know, your seniority point, there's a thing called seniority points when you come into a district and you don't get to choose what class you get. You, uh, you sort of are given whichever class nobody else wants to teach. And so I was given a class of fourth grade students who were particularly difficult to work with historically. They had a string of you know, long-term sub after long-term sub over the last two yeah. years. And it was a, sort of a cohort of, of kiddos who had l- been left sort of abandoned by the system mm-hmm. in a sense. And so I, I came in, I, my vision for them was just, hey, let's see if we can get you a little bit closer to grade level, right? So we had reading levels at between first and second grade. On average, we had just had a lot of basic skills for academically weren't there. And of course, social emotionally weren't there. And so I had just come from not, not the traditional teaching path. I was there on an emergency credential in California after teaching thousands of students with the International Association for Human Values. I taught thousands of students how to breathe and and do stress management around the country in different schools. Mm. Um, which was a phenomenal experience. And so I said, okay, let me see if I can do this in a classroom. And so these, these kiddos, I came in and I, I knew the one thing I knew how to do very well was establish a routine for breathing. <laughs> Sounds really weird. You know, I'd start teaching this to many different kids, many different classes. And the first thing they'll say is, well, I already know how to breathe. Like if I didn't know how to breathe, right. I'd be dead. Like what, what, what do you mean you're <laughs> going to teach me to breathe? Right. Yeah. And so they, then, the, the, then, you know, we, we start sharing and exploring that, you know, breathing consciously is a little bit different than breathing unconsciously. It's kind of like, mm. you know, knowing how to brush your teeth versus just throwing a whole bunch of water in your mouth and hoping for the best, you know? So we established mental hygiene as importantly as we, as, as kiddos viewed physical hygiene, dental hygiene, so we came in every day and we would practice these breathing, breathing practices. And what I saw at first is their, their ability to stay focused with the practice was very limited. So after like eight to 10 seconds, somebody's banana would, you know, end up on somebody else's head. And then we'd be yeah. like, all right, that's, that's the end of today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Flat. So they, no, we, no begin again. We're done today. Let's move on. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's what we can handle. Right. So, yeah, and, yeah. and I, I would always make it sort of, um, I never made it a, I never made it a, um, an obligation. It was always a privilege and sort of mm. couched around empowerment terms. And so anyway, so the, the, the outcome of this was that I started seeing their ability to focus on the breathing sort of bleed into their ability to focus academically and their ability right. to not take things so personally if there was a conflict. Mm. And so they're, so specifically in terms of reading, I saw that their reading stamina improved their ability to sit with something frustrating yet necessary, which is a yeah. lot of school, unfortunately, increased. And so after a few months, their reading stamina is improving. They were able to sit with frustration. They, I'm happy to say that the, the average reading score at the end of that year was middle of third grade. So it wasn't exactly um, fourth, 
but we had come a long way. We'd come almost two years on average in, in improvement. Um, and I wasn't an expert reading teacher. Like right. all, all I was doing was giving them the tools to sit with frustration and be able to focus despite distraction. Yeah, focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned it being like a privilege. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Cause I'm not, I understand what the word means, but I don't, I want to be brought into the context of the classroom where it, it was a privilege to do this. Sure. Yeah. So setting up a, a breathing practice with, with them sort of, you can make it or break it depending on how, you, you know, your tone of voice or, or how you go about doing it. Or if you're making it a punitive thing where you're, you know, forcing everybody to, to do it. So my, my philosophy there was, look, this is something not a lot of, not a lot of students are getting the opportunity to do during their school day, but it's essential. And the question I would often ask them is, do you want to be your own boss or do you want other people to be your boss for the rest uh, of yeah. your life? And when you, when you ask that to a fourth grader, I mean, every yeah. fourth grade, well, almost every fourth grader, in my experience, is going to say, yes, I want to be my old boss. I want to be powerful. Yeah. Right? right. And so then, then it's just a matter of like, okay, well, what do we need to do in order to increase our power as individuals? And uh, that's where the challenge came in. Like, are you able to observe your breathing? Are you able to mm. change your breath, right? If, you, if you're able to change your breath and manipulate your breathing, then you're able to, to control your body. You're able to control your mind. You're able to decide what you want to f- focus on, how you want to respond to situations. So that was a lot there. But I think coming back to your question in terms of privilege, I think the, the kiddos the, felt that and, and, and it wasn't, mm. it was always, it was always done in a supportive, encouraging way. So I, I think they, they, they got a lot out of it. Well, I really like the framing of, uh, do you want to be your own boss? And so not only is this important to fourth graders, I think if you asked adults this too, right, they would resonate with that message. So that's really cool. And I heard that they were able to focus more, you know, struggle in, in uh, how they related to challenging stuff. They'd be able to navigate that more effectively and be a lot less reactive. So they they were their own boss. Can you explain though a little more about the connection between um, breath and emotions? Yeah, that's such a cool question. So our I, I the other day I did a uh, session for a group of, of educators and administrators and counselors in New York City. It was part of the Innovation Education Conference. It was so much fun. And the whole thing was about, it was about heart rate variability and using that to help people manage their stress and, and biofeedback and all this stuff. But that's sort of, uh, parallel. One of the activities I did with them was I put up on, on the, on the, on the white, on the projector screen, a list of, I think 10 or 11 different emotions, right? Anger, frustration, embarrassment. Joy, nervousness, fear, all kinds of, all kinds of things up there. And, and then I had them partner up and one partner would act out in emotion on that list. And the other partner would have to guess which one they're acting out. But it's like charades. You can't say anything. You can only act nonverbally. 
And so okay. what they would do it. And then I'd say whoever guessed the most, whatever partners had the most guesses right, you know, win. I haven't decided what they won yet. But the point was, you know, you have this game where people are teaching each other um, how what it looks like to 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 have a certain emotion. And then I'd ask them, well, what did you use uh, to teach? Like, what 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 tools? What gestures? What what did you really use to to help communicate what emotion you were feeling? I would ask this to the winners, and I would get things like, oh, well, my gestures, like my 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 hands. My, phys- my physical, my emotional sort of expressions, um, you know, and, and so there, there's all these different things that you can observe, of course, when we're feeling emotions. And there's some things that you can't observe. And what's really cool, nobody said this. And I said, well, did anybody use their breathing in order to communicate an emotion? And people mm-hmm. was like, people were like, oh, actually, you know, yes, people realize, oh, yes, I, I do use my breathing. For example, if you're communicating fear, you might go, or if you're, yeah. if you're communicating anger, you go, right? Yeah. You're, you're really intense breathing. And, and so this goes back and there's research that, that was done in Belgium a few years ago that shows that people who are experiencing similar emotional, emotional experiences, right? Experiencing similar emotions have a certain pattern or a rhythm of breathing in general <laughs> that correlates with that emotion. So anger is more forceful exhale. Calmness is just a gentler breathing. Joy is associated sometimes with a more prominent inhale. And what was really cool is the study B was that they, they said, all right, well, let's reverse this and see if we ask people to breathe in certain ways, can we also... Uh, get them to feel certain things. Um, does it work right. in reverse? And it turns out that it does to a, in a significantly, statistically significant degree. It really does. There's sort of a medium, medium correlation, medium strength correlation there. So this is all to sort of put, you know, tell us something that we all know intuitively. You know, when we're angry and somebody says, you know, take a deep breath and, and you want to slap them across the face, but you, really they're right. They're right. They, they're right. <laughs> Then yeah, if you do take right. a deep breath, you're able to calm yourself. So there's a connection. It's like a, I call it like a physiological footprint for every emotion. Mm-hmm. Every emotion has a physiological yeah. footprint, whether that's your breathing, whether it's your digestive system, whether it's your hormones, whether that's uh, your perspiration, whether that's your emotional expression, some observable, mm-hmm. some unobservable. And uh, what's really cool about breathing is that unlike digestion or unlike heart rate or unlike your hormones, you can decide in a split second to have mm-hmm. have control over it. You you have some. It can be the boss. Over it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's really cool. So, in in for leaders too. I mean, obviously, we're we're talking about you know uh, some of the impacts. I mean, you were you were doing a conference, so there were educators there, but we're talking about students. But you know, I'm I'm in a high stakes situation as a as a principal, and I'm. I'm not liking, let's say, the way a parent is approaching me about something they're frustrated with. And uh, I might be feeling fear or embarrassed or stress or whatever. And what I'm hearing you say is if I've intentionally focused on the breath, I can change my relationship to that experience and change my emotional state as well to be one that would be uh, more positive and, and hopefully helpful in the situation. So. It's a uh, fascinating, fascinating, and 
just Maria Irene is saying that this is an interesting conversation and activity. So really great. Thank you, Maria Irene, for the comment. Uh, so before the break, I want to ask you one more question. And you, you founded School Wellbeing Solutions, right? And so can you tell us, Martine, uh, what, what, what's an exciting project that you're working on over that there at School Wellbeing Solutions these days? Sure. Yeah. So um, you mentioned, I think it's really cool that you mentioned this sort of situation with a leader who is faced with an angry parent, right? Yeah. And what they can do in that moment and how that, how their emotional experience manifests in their skill and action. And so mm. I think that just like, so school well-being solutions, we, we sort of, we do a, a, a few different things related to staff well-being and retention, but the primary buckets are in, in increasing the resilience of leadership and staff and also mm. help once the resilience is there, then helping them establish systems that don't require more and more and more and more resilience in order to stay in the systems, right? Okay. So, um, so now you've got your resilience, you've got your healthy, positive mindset. How can we use that to create systems that are upward spirals of well-being? And so mm. what, what an exciting project you asked about is I'm working with a school district, a couple of school districts on what I call resilience journey for leaders. And so what this is, it's an eight session. It's an eight session journey. And we start with what is resilience and what are you going through? How are your pain points associated with your level of stress and how do they feed off of each other? And they go into a few positive psychology topics like thinking traps, character strengths, mindfulness, breathing patterns, uh, heart rate variability and biofeedback. And then once we've really established sort of routines that that help us be our best selves, then how do you create, how do you take that knowledge and infuse it into your work and create systems that are nutritious for the well-being of your staff? And so in, thereby improving retention, positive school climates, and, and well-being for, for everyone in the school. Awesome. Well, I'm enjoying our conversation, Martin. And uh, when we get back after some messages from our sponsors, I'd also like to ask you about your uh, weekly Thriving Educator series too. That's all right. Sure. Yeah. Happy to, happy to talk about it. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is proudly sponsored by Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. I know many mastermind members and many ruckus makers who listen to this show that have gone through the program and have loved the experience. But don't just take it from me. Let's hear how some of the Harvard faculty describe the impact and their heart for this program. I deeply believe that every single person on this planet has superpowers and it is our job as educators to tap into them and unleash them. Learn more about the program and apply at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. What do you see in your classrooms and how did you see it? As a principal, you can't be everywhere at once. So how can you help support every teacher in the building? With TeachFX, teachers can gather their own feedback without relying on classroom observations. The TeachFX instructional coaching app is like giving every teacher their own instructional coach whenever they want it. Ruckus makers can pilot TeachFX with their teachers 
Visit teachfx.com forward slash better leaders to learn how. That's teachfx.com forward slash better leaders. If your students are struggling to stay focused and your teachers are showing signs of burnout, you need to act now. The good news is that there's a path forward. It is possible to lay the foundation for learning and to re-energize your teachers, and that's found in executive functioning skills. When students get practice with these skills, they can better self-regulate and they are more successful academically. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course that will teach you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set your students up for success. The goal of this course is to help your students be more successful and get teachers back to the work they are called to do. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Help your students be more successful and get your teachers back to the work they're called to at organizedbinder.com slash go. And we're back with Martine Blake, who is the founder of School Wellbeing Solutions. We're talking about an exciting project he's working on before the break, and there's and that had to do with resilience. I know, um, and correct me if I'm wrong too, please. But you had uh, you had a program called the Weekly Thriving Educator Series, and so if that's still going on, what's that all about? Yeah, so Weekly Thriving Educator Series is an opportunity for a variety of individuals that work in K twelve. So not just teachers, but staff, support staff, administrators who want to join to be immersed in a sort of regular, ongoing conversation about different evidence-based strategies and tools and resources for resilience and well-being. It's sort of an answer to the a problem that you'll often hear in the world of professional development, which is then what? So we come in, we do a great, a great day, everybody has fun, everybody feels at the top of their game. And then they're like, all right, well, this is great. And things sustain for a week, maybe two weeks. And then stress gets the best of us. We go back. So really, this is a, a group that's helping people feel accountable and just keeping this top of mind over and over again, especially the group of people who, who want to incorporate positive psychology. So we're, we're going to launch officially. We're doing a, a small pilot now with a small group of folks, but. We're going to launch officially in September and we're spending the summer really cooking up a very, very strong flow and different educators and, and positive psychology practitioners are going to be the leaders of that. So if you're interested, I'm happy to, to share more and, and, and be in touch about it with anybody. Great. And yeah, what would, where, where should we direct them? Should they just go to schoolwellbeingsolutions.com to, to learn more about that or is there something better? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, website has information and uh, has our our contact info there as well. Okay, cool. Uh, I think you believe that you know in education we forget that we have anything of value below the neck. What what's going on there? Yeah, so there's a, uh, a what I call a below I'm, I'm above the neck. Uh, sorry, let me start over. It's above the neck bias, right? So we <laughs> okay. sometimes. We sometimes forget, especially, you know, the pandemics are reinforced this because everybody sort of became boxes on a screen and you can't, and, and people loved it because you don't have to wear pants or you could wear your pajamas or whatever. But really right. there's, and school sort of is, is designed to reward people who can, um, 
who who can think quickly, analyze quickly, agree and support their arguments, disagree and support their arguments. But there's so much more that actually is um, conducive to happiness, right? And so let me back up for a moment. There are certain skills in every job that are great for doing that job, but they're terrible for your own level of well-being and happiness and satisfaction. For example, a lawyer. A lawyer is great at arguing. If he takes that same skill and brings it into his relationship, it's not going to be, it's not going to fair. Yeah, it's not going to be very well. It's also an unfortunate statistic that there's a high level of attorneys that, that are suicidal and depressed mm. and alcoholics. And so you have to sort of ask the question, why? And a lot of times it's because we, we sort of, we, we train so hard. We put so much attention and focus on developing the skills that will take us far in our careers. But those skills are antithetical to what will take us far in our, uh, in, in our lives. And so in, in terms of what this, how this applies to schools, right? We, when you ask a group of administrators or a group of teachers, well, what is the purpose of education? Why are we here? What are we doing? Typically, you get answers in, along the lines of, well, I want my students to be happy. I want them to be contributing positive members of society. I want them to be self-sufficient, independent, you know, successful, whatever that means for different folks. So if we want those things, then we have to take a really hard look at what we're doing day to day. And if what we're rewarding is going to get our students there. And typically what we were, what we reward in schools are, are skills that, yes, they're important. They're intellectual skills like analyzing and the ones I mentioned earlier, agreeing, disagreeing. But those skills are not always helpful for our well-being. What, what, what is helpful is learning to what I call how to develop your noticing muscle, right? So hashtag noticing okay. muscle. Your ability to, you know, we were talking about mindfulness earlier, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, did I just call you David Daniel? Sorry. No, good. And so... I might call you Martin at some point. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be on the good. We're, <laughs> we're even, we're even. <laughs> Please do that by the end of today. So that, that way I could sleep tonight. No, but, but oh, all good. jokes aside, there, there is this, the, the noticing muscle is this ability to be with an experience without the need to react, without the need to sure. agree or disagree or, you know, so. That that ability to just notice before responding is something that right. you know you might agree we're we're sort of losing a little bit as a culture, mm-hmm. and it's manifesting in social media feuds and siloing and people misunderstanding each other and jumping to conclusions and not even knowing that you've jumped to a conclusion or yeah. not even knowing yeah. that that you agree or disagree with something because it's so so automatic so. Those are the skills that, that lead us towards division, lead us towards conflict, uh, lack of support, loneliness, and ultimately mental health, um, concerns or mental illness. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, what doesn't lead us there, which is ideally the purpose of education is, is noticing is this ability. So that was a lot, but uh, I think, I thought that was it. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting to me. I, I think about that often. Definitely. Yeah. In, uh, 
I think the the political climate and the the challenges and stress that ruckus makers face on the day to day, this um uh, almost unconscious reactivity, right, that they're experiencing, uh, this noticing, I know will resonate, you know, with them. So for sure, you should check out what Martine's doing uh, at schoolwellbeingsolutions.com. So let me ask you about paradox. I think this would be my last last question before we do the sure. three I ask all my guests, but you're perfectly situated to to weigh in on this. We have school leaders and educators who are exhausted, right? And and they need to take care of themselves and they know this, you know? But then you might offer them some kind of self-care training and they'll they'll roll their eyes or emotions and breathing. They'll go, right? What's like what's going on there? If they if they know they need it, we all know they need it, then it's offered and people are like, oh, this is stupid. And um, how might we like switch that reaction to? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple sort of topics that, that might relate to that. One is this idea of drowning, right? Because that's what that's what's happening. People are drowning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're drowning yeah. in demands and they don't have a life jacket. They don't have resources. Whether those resources are time, whether those resources are money, staff. I mean, resources are limited, demands are high. That's a recipe for stress, right? Mm-hmm. And so if somebody's drowning, is that the moment to teach them how to swim? Is that right. the moment you say, hey, let me teach you backstrokes. You'll be fine. Just no, man, they're <laughs> drowning. They're, they're in fight or flight. They're like, if you yep. don't like physically take them out of the water, then 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 they might die, right? And so trying to just do self-care is in, in an environment of toxicity, an environment of high levels of stress, high levels of, of demands, low levels of resources is, is akin to that. And it's a little bit what the word might be tone deaf, right? So you walk into a room and you're like, hey, everybody, listen, have you ever tried how to, have you ever tried yoga? You know, you, you probably would feel better or have you, you know, maybe just start drinking a little <laughs> bit more water. You know, people yeah. are like what this guy, like he's so un, you know, he's not tethered to our, he doesn't understand. And so I guess this is more of a message to folks that are leading PDs and folks that are change makers, really meet people where they are and see, okay, what do I need to do right now? Maybe, maybe I'm not at the thriving yet. Maybe I'm just surviving. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's get to surviving and then we'll move to thriving. And so, um, that's the paradox here. So, and the, the other thing I would just share is that, you know, when we're in fight or flight, we tend to see more, we tend to place higher value on things like firefighting, on things like quick solutions, on uh, just taking care of what's, what's most painful because we need to, we need to deal with that. And we get into this addictive rut of continually just firefighting, no matter what, even if we don't, even if the thing can wait a couple of days, it's, it's firefighting because we're in that mindset, we're in that mental space and that's how we're operating. And I've seen this with tons of leaders over and over again. So the, the, the art or the skill, if you're a coach or if you're a trainer is being able to help leaders move just gently out of that for a moment and just say, Hey, just want you to know that when you're ready to to operate strategically rather than reactively 
Mm-hmm. I'll be here and we can do the work. And I completely understand if there's things that need to be attended to in their emergencies, you know, staffing shortages or whatever needs to, needs to happen. At the same time, if you want to reduce your long-term pain points so that next year you're not in the same turnover or staff recruitment headache, yeah. then we do need to put a little bit of attention on those sustainable strategic moves that will get us to where we want to be next year. Brilliant. Cool. So Martin, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be? Yeah, I thought about this. I think my message, I mean, there's so much. Right? <laughs> I probably give you a list of like 28 different messages to put, you know, one for different day of the, of the, of the month. I might put something like cultivate peace. I think that we, there's, yeah, that's kind of what I stand for is, is in inner peace. And then the, 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 what follows from that is your ability to cultivate peace externally. And if you were building your dream school, there were no constraints in terms of resources. The only limitation was your ability to imagine. How would Martin build his dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? Yeah, that's another really good question, which means that it's hard to answer. So <laughs> those things typically go hand in hand. Um, one is, I guess the priority for, for me would be, you know, in yoga, there's this concept. I, I might be totally butchering this yoga sukham asanam. No. I'm, I'm butchering it. Don't quote me on that, but I have a couple of the words and it's Patanjali's sort of, maybe the father of, 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 of modern yoga is, is this idea of balancing effort with gentleness or with, with joy, mm-hmm. with enjoyability. And it, and so when you're, when you're doing an asana, when you're in a pose in yoga, whatever you're doing, Yes, there should be a a level of effort, but it shouldn't be painful, right? Mm -hmm. And so remembering that, how that applies to schools is when you're learning, it should not be a painful process. It should be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And that's going to rekindle the spark that leads to lifelong learning and that leads to wanting to learn more and building intrinsic motivation which is what we all want. We want kiddos to, to, to have intrinsic motivation so that we can stop bribing them and, and get to facilitate and get to expand and get to remove the obstacles for them. And, and that's not where we are now, but that would be a, a, a guiding principle. And, and then another, another one, which would be respect for the developing mind, right? So mm-hmm. very aligned there, very similar. And then the third one would be to, Question everything, but do it with kindness. Yeah, love it. We covered a lot of ground today, talked about a lot of really important topics. Of everything we discussed, Martine, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Yeah, I I want people to remember that that, that they matter. I want you to remember that you matter. Often we forget that. And uh, when we forget that we matter, then we're not able to do our best to be the best versions of ourselves to do good work. And mattering has two components. Okay. Mattering is contributing and feeling valued. 
for your contribution. And so if that's not happening, I would encourage you to troubleshoot that. Get in touch with me. I'm happy to support. I'm sure Danny's happy to support there as well. There's, there's so much to be said, but, but that's what I'll, I'll end with is just saying you matter. Chris Peterson, one of the founders of positive psychology says other people matter. And by that, that subset of other people includes you. And um, so I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for these awesome questions, Danny. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.